Well, we're continuing our, our series uh, titled The Stories of Jesus. You can see that on the screen. It's a series in the, uh, the parables, some of the parables that Jesus uh, told in this series. They all happen to be taken from the Gospel of Luke. And if you've been here, you, you know the shtick. I kind of do the same introduction every week. The, uh, telling stories was a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. Maybe an example is better than um, uh, kind of telling you again. For example, in talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus could have said, the kingdom of God is of supreme value and is worth much more than everything you have. But of course, he didn't say that, even though that statement is true. Instead, he put it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And that's the difference, right? You just experienced it. A a propositional statement is a truth that we might nod our heads in agreement with, but a story is much more. It it engages your imagination, hopefully your heart, our our whole beings, right? So Jesus told these stories for that reason, I think. You know, it's kind of like he knew what he was doing. (laughs) Engaging the whole person. So today we look at the story of a widow and an unjust judge, which was really about perseverance in prayer. So let's listen to the scripture. This is the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Megan. You know, a lot of these uh, stories that Jesus told uh, were told in light of something that was happening in the moment. It, It wasn't like he just grabbed a story out of thin air and pitched it into a conversation as a kind of a non sequitur. He, um, he was kind of coaching as life was happening. The picture is, really kind of less of a, a friendly grandpa remembering a story from the past and sharing it, uh, and, and more of a spiritual parent teaching his kids on the fly as real life was unfolding. Um, and our, our boys are 11 and 9, and every once in a while we need to like, just call time out and say, okay, this is what's happening here. We want you to see that. Right? It, so Jesus did a lot of that. Um, and, and this story is definitely one of those. I mean, he, Jesus would pause, and when the disciples had 
had an experience or observed a situation or something, he would, he would unpack it and help them put things in context and uh, really to name what's really going on in the world and what that experience or, or observation means from his perspective. So he would help them understand that God is real. You know, God is not just a word or a religious idea. God's a person for real. The kingdom of God is real. The kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus, so it's already here right now. But the kingdom of God hasn't yet fully come because that will only happen when Jesus returns. And this, this story of the unjust judge and the widow was told in response to something the disciples observed. And to get that, you have to flip the page back in your Bible to the last half of chapter 17. Here's what was going on. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now that, that passage brings up a whole other conversation which is the subject of a different sermon, but that would have blown the Pharisees' minds because they held some pretty firm expectations as to what the coming of God's kingdom would look like and what it would mean. Uh, specifically, it's what Jewish people believed back then, and actually it's what Orthodox Jews believe to this day, that when the Messiah comes, everything will be set right. The world will be at peace. I still remember a trip to the Holy Land. Our, our, uh, uh, our, one of our guides was a, a Jewish fellow, and we were chatting, and I just, I can't remember how it came up. I just asked him, I think we were talking about the resurrection, and you, you know my thing. I'm like, well, that's the linchpin of my faith. I believe that I live in a world where a resurrection has happened, so I was asking him about that. And he said, well, I just can't, because you know, when the Messiah comes, there will be peace. And as I look around the world, there's not peace. So Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah. So the, the, Jesus is addressing this tension that the coming of the kingdom wasn't what the Pharisees thought it was going to be. It, it wouldn't be observable. That would blow their minds. And then he also said, and by the way, it's already in your midst. That would have blown their minds too. But I'm sorry, I'm preaching a different sermon. That, but this is the context. Jesus was asked, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Uh, but then, it's one of these very interesting pivots in Scripture. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Then look what happens next. Then he said to his disciples, so he answered the Pharisees, then he turned to his disciples. This is one of those spiritual parenting moments because he realized, hey, this is a teachable moment and I want them to get something. And here's what he said. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. See, Jesus was preparing his disciples for life in the not yet of the kingdom of God. He was, he was telling the Pharisees, I think he was actually trying to help the Pharisees, but they were just so far from getting that it wasn't going to be like what they were expecting. But the disciples had a little more investment, right? They, they were people of peace to Jesus. They were listening to him. And Jesus was, was trying to help them realize what, what it was going to be like. In essence, he was saying, I'm, I'm with you now and brought God's kingdom with me. In that sense, the kingdom of God is in your midst. But I'm going away soon and you will be left living in the in-between time 
of the relaunch of God's kingdom, which I just inaugurated, and the full realization of God's kingdom on earth, which I will bring with me when I return. See, I I really think that Jesus knew that life in the in-between time would be hard. The in-between time, meaning after he left, but before he returned a second time. And guess what? That's the time in which we live. And Jesus knew this would be hard. There's incredible tension. And if, if in your personal faith, you somehow hold an unspoken expectation that your faith should take all of the tension in life away, let me share with you that that is a false expectation. That will not happen. It doesn't mean your faith is deficient. They're they're just following Jesus in this life means there, there will just be incredible tension in life because we believe that God's kingdom has already arrived in Jesus but it hasn't yet fully come and there's this rub. You feel it in you if you're trying to follow Jesus. It's so easily observable in the world. Like my, my Jewish friend on the, on the tour, well, I look, when I look around, I don't see peace. Well, you got me there. You know? But Jesus said something different about what the kingdom would be like. It would come in part but not fully. So Jesus knew that life in the in-between time would be hard, and we're called to embrace the tension, living as foreigners and exiles in this life. Right, that comes from 1 Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we're called to embrace the tension not try to, try to make it go away, right? We're also called to remember the not yet aspect of the kingdom and to set our mind on eternal things. This is what Paul was getting at in Colossians. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's so clearly addressing the tension of the in-between time, right? Life in the not yet, which is where we live. And finally, we're called to live out the radical ethics of the kingdom. What we believe about Jesus has implications for how we behave in this world. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The in-between time, that is. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And, And through all of that, through our efforts to follow Jesus in all of that, we will experience suffering and pain, right? rejection and persecution, searing loss, and seemingly unanswered prayer. That's the reality of the tension in the in-between time. It's hard. See, Jesus knew that sometimes it would feel like God had left the building in this 
life in the not yet time, this living in the in-between time. So, he told a little story to his disciples that, quote, they should always pray and not give up. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, a quick read of this story might lead you to view it as a comparison story, that, that God is somehow like the judge, and that we're somehow like the widow, that our prayer is somehow to be like the widow's plea, and that like the judge, God will respond because eventually we just wear him down. But the problem is, that's not what Jesus intended at all. This is not a comparison parable. This is a really important point, by the way. This is not a comparison parable. It's a contrast parable. And when you read the Bible, you have to understand the difference between those two things because it's super important. And if you don't understand that, you'll draw the wrong conclusions from what Jesus is saying. You know, while the phrase isn't used in this story, this is among... Uh, those parables known as Jesus' how much more parables, where he says, look, if this happens in this case, well, how much more will God do this for you? And Jesus clarifies this contrasting kind of approach in his explanation of the little story he just told to his followers. Look what he said. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about Justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, think about the contrast, right? The contrast between the judge and God. Uh, that, that phrase, unjust judge, in the original language, literally means a judge of injustice. The word play, you can't miss it in the original language. Uh, complete irony, the judge of injustice. This guy didn't fear God, which by the way, was the first and most important quality for a judge in Israel. You know, fe fear of God, meaning uh, respect and honor for God and God's law, the only standard for real justice, right? Nor did the, just, uh, the unjust judge care what people thought, meaning he was shameless in a society based on public honor and shame. So this guy could care less. He was in it entirely for himself. Did not care. So, doesn't fear God, doesn't care what people think, which, which means he really doesn't care about people. And the point is that God is the opposite of the unjust judge because God is perfect in all he does and loves people as demonstrated by the cross, right? The contrast between the judge and God. The contrast between the widow and us. The poor widow was powerless. She had no standing in society, no connections, no one to advocate 
for her or plead her case. She was on her own. Followers of Jesus are the opposite of the widow because we have been adopted into God's family and have the standing of beloved children as we come before the Father. We don't come powerless and uninvited. We come with our full identity in Christ, child of God, loved by God, pleasing to God, not because we're doing it right, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And we come invited by God. Remember what the book of Hebrews says. You may approach the throne of grace with confidence. You're invited. God wants to hear from you. So we're not at all like the widow. We have standing with the Father. The widow's plea in our prayer. The widow's plea was heard only because of her peskiness. She, quote, kept coming to him. In the original language, that meant she kept finding the judge wherever he was, not just uh, in the courthouse or the equivalent of that day, likely the city gate, right? She bothered him everywhere. She found him on the street and she bugged him. She saw him in the restaurant and she bugged him. She saw him at the YMCA. She bugged him there. She saw him in the cereal aisle at Myers. She bugged him there. She was everywhere. She just would not let it go. This guy could not get away from her. That's the picture of this thing. And you see, our prayers are the opposite of the widow's peskiness because God wants to hear from us and asks us to engage him. We're not bugging him. (laughs) He's overjoyed in that conversation. See, our prayers are not heard by God because of our many words or because we pray the right words. If you need what Jesus said on that, go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. He made that very clear. And we don't have to wake God from a slumber with a barrage of continual prayer pelting. Remember the Old Testament, Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. Hey, you guys better yell louder. Your God might be sleeping. Yet louder, might be a deep sleep. Our prayers aren't like that. The judge's response and God's response. The judge responded because the widow kept bothering him and he was afraid she might come and attack me. In the original language, that meant to give him a black eye, literally. One commentator suggested that the judge was afraid of being handbagged by the feisty little widow. What an image. That's the purse, like whack, 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 whacking him. See, God's response to us is the opposite of the judge's annoyance and fear. The Lord is delighted to respond to our prayers. Jesus told another story to emphasize just this reality. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You put all that together and you get the point of Jesus' little story today. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Like like the judge put off the widow, will God do that to us? And the answer is no, no. No, God doesn't do that to us. A British theologian whom I very much appreciate named Michael Wilcock, uh, who, by the way, happens to be a good friend of the Basts. I think Betty Jo's here today. He's Uncle Michael to them. I, I, and he's been here to fifth, by the way. One, one time I stood up here and I started preaching a sermon and I looked out and I thought, 
there's Michael Wilcock. <laughs> I thought, I hope this is a good sermon. <laughs> but then I thought, you know what, Jesus is here every week and he kind of matters more than Uncle Michael. So I hope every sermon's a good sermon. But Uncle Michael wrote this. It is a mark of the disciples of Jesus that they practice constant contact with the God who they know always hears their prayer. His answer may not always be what they hope for. It may sometimes be no. It may often be wait. But they learn by experience that as often as they pray, so often will they be answered speedily. His chosen ones cry out to him day and night. In fact, not because he does not listen, but precisely because he does. God does listen. Now, I get it. You're thinking, yeah, but I prayed this and it sure didn't feel like God was listening. That that's the very real tension, right? Everybody we know and love will still die. Everybody. Deep longings in life will go unrealized. I mean, you can preach this as well as I can. Disease is real and debilitating. The evil in the world feels overwhelming. At least it does to me. I imagine it does to you too. See, this little story is not about getting what we want by being persistent in bugging God. This little story is about persisting in prayer even when life is hard and it feels like our prayers are going unanswered. That's what it's about. Because Jesus knew life would feel that way sometimes, maybe a lot of the time even. That's why he told the story. Isn't that in and of itself comforting? That Jesus knew it would feel this way? So he told us this story, knowing that life would be super hard. He told us this story that we might always pray and not give up. This is everywhere in scripture, really. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Pray always. Don't give up. Jesus knew it would be hard. So in addition to telling us what to do, he gave us a pattern. See, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave us the pattern for persistent prayer. 
And we don't have time to unpack this fully today, but if you've been around fifth, you might have seen this before. The Lord's Prayer is much more than a list of words to repeat in a rote kind of way. Certainly, we pray that prayer in corporate worship. We're invited to pray the the words of that prayer privately in our own devotional lives as we interact with the Lord. Uh, And another way of looking at the prayer are the big categories that the prayer represents, namely character, kingdom, provision, forgiveness, guidance, and protection. Just for one moment, think with me about it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Character, God's character, who God is, that's where all of our praying should start. Our Father, in the original language, Abba, Daddy. All of our praying can begin by coming back to the place of remembering our status as beloved children before the Father. So the idea that Jesus was saying was when you pray, Remember who you are. (laughs) Remember who you are in me. And also remember who I am. Because our Father, our Abba, happens also to be the King of the universe. So, hallowed be your name. Meaning, may your name, Yahweh, may your name, Jesus, be worshipped by everyone everywhere. For let's make that our primary prayer. Our primary plea that God would get the glory because that's far more important than the things with which we're struggling, the challenges that we're facing. And then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May our prayer be kingdom focused. May our hearts and lives be aligned with those things that matter to God. Give us today our daily bread. Notice that's third on the list, but okay to pray. Give me provision for today. I'm not asking for a huge bank account. I just need today, Lord. Forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us, God. Help us be forgiving. Guidance. Lead us not into temptation. We need guidance for the way forward in life protection, but deliver us from the evil one, for evil in the real is, is real. You know, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. People aren't the enemy, and there is an enemy. You're, you're getting my point. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Life can be hard. Life is hard. And yet, always before us is the stunning claim that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. That claim demands our response to believe it, trust, trust what God has done for us, to grow in our trust, in our faith, and all that that means to orient your life around what God's doing in the world in Jesus, and to flourish in faith, not just so that we feel better, but so that we become the full people God intended us to be. We believe, we grow, we flourish in response to the claim that we live in a world 
where a resurrection has happened. And let's not miss that last little line that Jesus tagged on there. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? That's not a sidebar to the story he told. It's the conclusion to the story he told. Pray always. Don't give up. This is the kind of faith Jesus hopes to find when he returns. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the presence of your Spirit, the the guiding of your Spirit, even as we look at your Word. Uh, we We can almost feel that your desire is to be known. Thank you that you're that kind of God. We want to walk with you. We want to know you, not just to know about you. And God, we we want to follow you actively in this life, even when it's hard. So help us when it feels like we've got nothing in the tank, when it feels like we're completely off the rails. Please help us to turn to you, to seek your face, to pray always, and not to give up. Help us, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, by way of response to the word today, we're, we're trying to do this, you know, just take a little moment to respond. We don't want to just hear scripture or hear a message and then just move on with our day like nothing happened. What does this mean for us? How can we put this into practice? So today, this question, where do you feel most challenged to persevere in prayer. Invest some time praying over that person or area right now. I was asked a very compelling question this week by someone who is discipling me. And he asked, if all of your prayers were answered, what would change? I invite you to think about this question and possibly that one as well.